With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The 10th time they've made it! They've won a playoff campaign! And they've done it at Wembley! And for the first time in 74 years, Brentford will play in the top flight of English football! Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Eden Road Podcast, where on tonight's show we're going to be looking back at an eventful game against Newcastle last weekend answering some questions from Twitter and the GPG and briefly looking ahead to Everton at home on Saturday. Before we get into things, remember, guys, if you haven't listened to the podcast before, share it around with your mates. Please leave a rating on our Spotify and YouTube channels and follow our social accounts. That's at the Elam Road on Twitter and at Elam Road Pod on Instagram. Uh, We're delighted to be joined by the Brentford correspondent for The Athletic, Jay Harris. Jay, lovely to have you back on the pod, mate. Do you you enjoy Newcastle at the weekend? Um, (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I really like going to St. James's Park. I think it's one of the, it's certainly probably my favourite away ground in the Premier League. But actually, after what happened at the weekend and after the 5-1 defeat last year, I'm starting to change my stance on that. <laughs> I, I enjoyed going there. Didn't necessarily enjoy the outcome of the game, shall we say. Yeah, fair enough. I saw I saw a pretty angry tweet about the about some trains as well. Do you want to, do you want to elaborate? <laughs> yeah, do you know what it is? I, I don't drive and um, for various reasons. And one of them, one of them, I try to tell myself by not driving like I'm having some sort of small positive impact on the environment right Um, so when you get trains and they're just constantly delayed um, constantly getting cancelled and I know this has happened to lots of Brentford fans before and you know football fans up and down the country just kind of makes you think what's the point is it just easier and more convenient to just hop in a car and do all these solo journeys so it was more just a frustration of, I feel like I'm trying to do the right thing for the planet and the environment and, um, yeah, just get stitched up. And to be honest, I know some people know that I play Sunday League football. And look, I purposefully got the first train out of Newcastle <laughs> so I could make the second half of my Sunday League game. And I missed it. And uh, we won 3-1 and it was our first win of the season. So there's also a part of me that was fuming I missed out on that. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's the explanation behind it. It's, it's always it's always difficult with the trains. At the moment, it kind of feels like they're on strike. All the tickets are going to cost you a hundred pounds to get there and back. It's, it's, but as as someone who does do solo drives, as someone who drove to Newcastle and did about a ten hour round trip on on the weekend, it is it can get really really bad. Especially if you go out in Newcastle on the Saturday night and you have to do the drive home hungover. Uh, that is that is not fun. Anyway, anyway, we'll get we'll get onto we'll get onto the games. Just before we start uh, dissecting that Newcastle game, what have you made of Brentford's start to the season? Obviously, it's been a while since you've been in the pub. We haven't actually spoke this season. What have you What have you made of the start? Yeah, I think it's been okay. Um, goes without saying that you know Bournemouth and, and Crystal Palace draws really should have been wins. I think the performances have been been good. There's obviously things to build upon. Um, you know, Thomas Frank had said before the start of the season, and he said it in in the summer a few times. This is kind of like a little bit of a new version of Brentford in a way. He wants Brentford to to take control of the ball a lot more and try to be a bit more ball dominant in games. And that um, evolution doesn't happen overnight. Um, obviously, no David Rea, no Ivan Tony. I think Flecken's been 
better than maybe others <laughs> say he's been. <laughs> but there's still going to be an adjustment. Um, adjusting without Ivan obviously impacts the way Vissa plays. It impacts the way Mbuma plays. So I think it's been okay. Look, I wouldn't be... I'm personally not worried about the team getting relegated. I think there's too many other teams in the league that are, are of worse quality. But at the end of the day, you've still got to get to 35, 40 points first and foremost and then look up. Um, but I think everything will come together soon enough. I, the frustration would be that the first four games were very kind, free home fixtures. The only away fixture was Fulham and obviously one 3 nil. So should really maybe have come away with nine or ten points. And I think it was, what, six points from the first four games. And obviously the loss at the weekend. So not, not a perfect start, but I don't think it's time to you know, pull out a violin and, and start worrying too much. Yeah, and I, I, you make a good point because some of the head loss I've seen on Twitter after that Newcastle game has been just mental. And when you, when you actually think about it, we haven't played poorly in any of the games. And uh, especially the game against Tottenham, Tottenham looked like they're flying this season. And we managed to hold them to a 2-2 draw and we probably... Could could have could have won that that game could have gone either way, admittedly, but we could have won that game too. So, yeah, some some of the head loss on Twitter that the football fans somehow go into after after a loss, I, it baffles me sometimes. But uh, we'll, we'll get on to um, just th- thoughts on the summer business, transfer wise. I think it was okay. I think need to remember that um, a lot of the business that took place last summer, so twenty twenty two. Um, was really done for the future. And obviously I'm talking about Damsgaard and, and Keen Lewis Potter in particular. So getting Sharder in permanently, although that was always really going to happen, um, getting Flecken and getting Collins is, is, is decent business. I think you also need to refer back to last summer um, because Damsgaard and Keen Lewis Potter were basically brought in to give them six months, 12 months to kind of adjust to the Premier League. And obviously it didn't really work out for either of them for different reasons. And it's not, you know, Lewis Potter hasn't played too much at the start of the season and Damsgaard's been injured, so it's still not quite worked out. Um, if that trajectory with those two players continues, then maybe in six months' time you look back on this summer and say, yeah, maybe you should have got another attacking midfielder or maybe you should have, you know, pushed even harder to sign Brennan Johnson, Johan Bakayoko or Nico Gonzalez or whoever it was. Um but one thing I don't think you can accuse Brentford of is not being really ambitious with their signings. I think the fact that they're trying to, you know, the fact they were trying to sign Johnson, uh, they were tr- although I know some Brentford fans don't really rate Johnson either, and the fact they're trying to sign Bakayoko, who's at 20 years old, is already a Belgium international, looks really good for PSV, linked with Nico Gonzalez, fair play, because they're really trying to take that next step, really trying to cons- consolidate themselves as, as a top 10 team in the Premier League. But it's not easy. You know, Brentford's wage structure is very controlled, which is the best way it should be. Um, You know, that first season in the Premier League, they had one of the lowest wage bills, or they had the lowest wage bill, and I'd still expect it's one of the lowest. Luton's is probably much lower than theirs now, but it's still probably in the bottom five. And to make that step up, you've basically got a decision. You know, do we offer players £100,000 a week, £120,000 a week, or do we just keep trying to grow organically? And I think there's been a little bit of that this summer where maybe some players, I don't know what Johnson's on, but I'm assuming that Tottenham offered Johnson a substantial amount of more money than than Brentford could have. That's sort of the difficulty they're going to face. And that's just a natural part of, of Brentford's evolution as a club. Two years ago, they were still in the Championship and now they're trying to sign you know, the best talents from PSV. I think people forget Freiburg, Freiburg finished, I think, fifth in the Bundesliga last season. 
And Brentford have gone and taken Flecken and Sharda from them. So there's a lot of things that Brentford do in the transfer market which we should praise. And I don't think missing out on some ambitious targets should necessarily get the criticism that I've seen it get. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think Thomas Frank said something similar on, on the Monday Night Football last night that I advise any Brentford fan to go and watch. Uh, I think Griffin Park Twitter, Griffin Park Grapevine Twitter tweeted out the whole video, the post-match chat anyway, but he said... In terms of these signings, like the Nico Gonzalez, like the Bakayoko, uh, Brennan Johnson as well, these market signings, it's kind of a step away from what we normally do in terms of recruiting hidden gems. But it is so difficult to compete when a team like Tottenham comes in for Brennan Johnson, because you mentioned the wage structure, the transfer fee, it's just something we can't compete with. Um, let's get into this Newcastle game then. I, I did want to chat a little bit about Thomas Franks before. Uh, on, on MNF last night. So if you found anything interesting, just uh, let me know at the end of the segment. But we'll get on to the Newcastle game. I thought this uh, would be a good episode to have you on just by virtue of the fact that there was quite a few incidents, talking points, stuff that's happened after the game that would be good to kind of talk about. Firstly, I tweeted a voice note on full time, just kind of saying that I wasn't too angry. Obviously, last year we came away with 5-1 loss. We didn't turn up at all. I wasn't too angry because I didn't think there was too much to separate the two teams on day. Um, and obviously they get they get the penalty and win one nil. What what were your initial thoughts when when you left the stadium? Um, I was a little bit confused in a way because yeah, I'm sure we'll get into it. But for me, I, I lean more towards the Flecken's foul on Gordon is a penalty. Um, so when Thomas Frank reacted in the way that he did in the press conference, I was I was a little bit surprised. But then obviously in the context of Frank explaining that he'd been told that when that sim- when that very similar incident happened with Kevin Sharder, he got told if a goalkeeper pulls out, it's not a penalty. Understood it a little bit more, um, but I was still still came away a little bit surprised by that reaction. Um, I know they mentioned it on MNF last night that Newcastle's XG without the penalty is zero point six, mm-hmm. and uh, Brentford's is zero point five. So it was a really tight game. Um, I think Brentford deserve a lot of credit for keeping Newcastle at St. James's Park so quiet. You know, they'd lost three games in a row coming into this and I really thought there was going to be a really heavy-handed reaction, if I'm honest. And I was a little bit fearful, not that there was going to be a repeat of 5-1, but that it was going to be a really difficult game. And it still was, but in a very different way. I don't think Bruno Gimerich really did anything with the ball and that's a testament to Vitaly Jana and Christian Norgard and, and the job they did in central midfield. You know, Gordon looked okay in flashes, but you know, certainly didn't rip apart Rico Henry or Aaron Hickey the way he did Trent Alexander-Arnold a few weeks ago. So I thought it was a solid performance. There wasn't anything sensational in attack, but you know, Newcastle had the joint best defence in the Premier League last season. They've got very good structure. So I came away from it thinking, you know, Brentford deserved at least a point from that game. I think a draw is a fair result all round, so to lose is frustrating. Um, but not frustrating because it was a bad performance. Just obviously a one decision's kind of swung the game in Newcastle's favour. So, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't disappointed. Well, I was disappointed, but just in a sense that their performance deserved more than they got. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. It wasn't it wasn't kind of it, it was a difficult game. You're right, and I was wary that you know last season we got there, we went there and got absolutely battered. But this time round, we looked much more assured on the ball. We had more of the ball to start with. I think. That was kind of the most amount of possession, probably, well, just off the top of my head, the most amount of possession we've had against one of those big six teams in recent years, in recent in recent times. Um, we just looked a lot a lot more comfortable than we did last year and we didn't kind of let the occasion and the atmosphere at St. James's Park yeah, roll us over. Sorry, quickly, I should have said, the first, I thought the first 20, 25 minutes were, were 
really good. Um, I really like the way Nathan Collins and Aaron Hickey seem to have developed a relationship, but obviously that might be uh, that might be mm. getting cut short now with what's happened to Rico Henry. But there are a lot of times in those first 20 minutes where Hickey was getting into some really good positions out wide on the right and um, Barnes wasn't really tracking him back and Dan Byrne was kind of caught in two minds as to whether to, to push up on him or stay on, on Brian and Bumo. And obviously Hickey had that shot, I think it was in the third minute. Yeah. Uh, and so I think there were times where Brentford made Newcastle look vulnerable, just they weren't often enough. Yeah, I think uh, one of the reasons for that sentiment of coming out of the game thinking that we deserved a point is um, the amount of chances. Well, I, I don't know if we could we could go into it. I think there were chances for Wisser. I tweeted out after the game asking people for thoughts on his performance, got loads of replies, everyone kind of getting on his back. And I think rightly so, because he did have an off day. And in terms of the chances that he had, he had that first one when he was like inside the six-yard box, kind of just flaps a leg at it and misses it. Uh, the late header at the end, which I have more sympathy towards because I think he kind of is in two minds whether the ball's actually going to get headed away by the Newcastle defence or if he's going to connect to it. The one that really, that I watched back on Match of the Day and I'm screaming at the telly, is you remember that bit where he kind of beats two men and he's got Brian and Bumo running through and, th- and there's a pass that a pass that anyone would have played in that position, but for some reason he holds on to the ball. Um, what did what did you make of, of his performance, especially, particularly that chance? Because I watched it back, already disappointed that we'd lost, and then I came home and I saw that, and I was like, oh, like that, that's a simple pass. Yeah, yeah, the Mbumo pass is, out of all the moments that Vissel was involved in in the game, I think that was the one I was the most disappointed yeah. with because it was a really good opportunity to hurt Newcastle in the transition. I think Vissel had a fine game personally. Yes, he wasn't, amazing in those moments I think it's a difficult cross when that ball's whipped in and I think he's about six yards out from goal it's coming in at pace yes you'd expect expect someone of his finishing to kind of tuck that away but sometimes that happens the header at the end you know you kind of said yeah he should really be getting that on target but you can understand why I think we need to remember that even Wiss's first two seasons at the club there's been times where he can or is guilty of fading in and out of games. Mm-hmm. And that was when he was, you know, on the left wing. Now he's adapting to a new position where he's kind of the, the central striker in a free. He obviously plays very differently to, to Ivan. And I think there are going to be games where it really works. And his connection with Brian and Bumo and Kevin Sharder looks electric. And there's going to be games where he just finds it a little bit more difficult. Because the thing with Ivan Tony is that you can almost bank on him to win headers and he just has this magnetic presence where even if he's not necessarily playing very well, he still seems to draw extra attention from other defenders and things like that, which is obviously not quite at, at that level. But I think what I've been personally impressed with Vissa this season is that I actually think he's a better hold-up player than people give him credit for and people realise. Um, I think actually think he's quite good at dropping deep to around the halfway line, dragging defenders with him and then quickly spinning off them. I just think there are a couple of times in the Newcastle game, that Mbumo um, pass is, is one example, where he just held on to the ball for a little bit too long. Mm-hmm. Even in the scenario I mentioned a minute ago where Hickey has that shot on goal, Visser really should play the pass to, to Hickey or Jensen five seconds earlier before he does. And it just allowed Newcastle to kind of recover. Um, I don't think it was a disastrous performance. It was only a few weeks ago we were praising him for scoring two in the first two games. I think we just need to remember Vissel always has been a little bit, you know, I don't want to offend him, but he can just be a bit streaky at times. Mm-hmm. Looks really lively in one game and then struggles to get into another. And I think when you factor into account, he's adjusting to this new position as well. 
games like that are going to happen. And like I said, 0.5 XG. I'd be worried if Brentford didn't score and they'd had 3 XG and Vissa had been missing big chances. But actually, that kind of puts it into context. They might have looked like there were great chances to the eye, yeah. but actually, they weren't as easy maybe as we thought they were. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think uh, especially especially that header, the, the one off the corner, and it, it kind of it's testament to the fact that that the the one chance that we're talking about that was the most disappointing. It won't have any XG because it was just a pass that he needed to make. But I think um, I think Jim Levac on Twitter made a good point. He said he's a natural finisher, but sadly he's also a human being who has off days. Also, he got to factor in the fact that he was away on the international break for the last two weeks. Never stops wanting the ball and is usually in the right position to miss, <laughs> which <laughs> is a little bit harsh. But um, I think yeah, he is. And I like him and he started the season so well, but such is the nature of football that as soon as he'll have a bad game, he'll get loads of stick for it. But he is, it's like you mentioned, he has he has always been one of these players that, that can kind of go in form, out of form, in form, out of form, in form, out of form. I would still say, um, I don't think he's a better finisher than Ivan Tony, but he is, he is a very good finisher. He's not far behind. Mm-hmm. He's still the best finisher that the club have got while Ivan Tony's out. I still think his movement in those attacking areas is far better than Sharder's, for example. So Sharder might be the more exciting to watch when he's got 20 yards of space to run into. But if it was an opportunity in the box and you said before the game, would you rather Sharder get that chance or Visser get that chance? I still think 99% Brentford fans would say we want Visser to have that chance. It's just it just didn't fall for him this day. Yeah. 100%. 100%. We'll go, we'll go on to uh, the big talking point that's obviously been confirmed in the last couple of hours. First half, Rico Henry's injury. It's now being confirmed by the club that he's likely to miss the rest of the season after tearing his ACL. Um, I saw that you're releasing an article tomorrow on The Athletic about sort of how we're going to shape yeah. up. Could you could you maybe get, give people a little bit of a taster of what's to come from that? Yeah, of course. Um, firstly, obviously, I have to say speedy recovery to Rico. That's a massive blow for him. Um, obviously it was only a couple of weeks ago that it felt like maybe he was finally going to get an England call up it didn't happen so then for the next game after that for him to suffer an ACL which means he's probably going to miss the rest of the season is is really really tough it's obviously the second ACL he suffered in his career luckily um, this is to a different knee if it was the same knee I'd be really fearful for his career but luckily that's not the case it's still a massive setback and a massive hurdle for him to overcome, but I'm, I'm sure he will. Um, really, really feel for him, like I said. How are Brentford going to kind of cope and adapt without him? We obviously saw a little bit of it on um, Saturday when, when Hickey moved over to the left. So I think left-back is pretty much Hickey's role for the rest of the season. Um, and it will just be a case of, do you play Mads Rurslev on the right or do you play Christopher Iyer on the right? And I think that will, one, depend on Iyer's availability, um, it's typical Ayer that he played twice for Norway in the international break 90 minutes even scored for them and then is uh, ruled out of Saturday's game with a minor injury he just can never seem to catch a break and then obviously I think Rurstaff is really great 1v1 defending but he's maybe a bit more hesitant with the ball going forward whereas I think Ayer's a, a good ball carrier I actually think the, the, the biggest problem Henry's injury gives Brentford is what to do going forward because Rico's speed has just been such a valuable weapon. Um, I was looking at it earlier. So Rico's played 76 times in the Premier League for Brentford and and believe it or not, he's only got three assists, um, which seems wild to me when you actually think of some of the chances, you know, even against um, Tottenham, I think, on the opening day of the season. Mm -hmm. You know, he runs past Royale, 
whips it into the box. And if people remember, Mbumo misses from about four yards out on his weaker right foot. You should, you should still score, but regardless, Rico's speed just enables him to, to create goal-scoring opportunities that other players who aren't that quick as him just can't do. So we know that Hickey's probably better on the ball than Rico Henry, but he just doesn't have that same speed to blow past players. So I think it will be interesting to see what Hickey does because I think he'll be pushed further forward now on that left. You know, we often see Jensen drop into like a left-back role and almost be a bit of a playmaker from there. And um, Henry would go on and make a run um, further ahead. So it'll be interesting to see if Hickey now replicates that tactic. So my expectation is that whoever comes in at right-back will be more defensive and Hickey will be pushed further forward. But whether he can kind of have the same success as as Rico's done um, remains to be seen. But I think Rico is going to be a massive loss. Um, You know, Hickey played twice for Scotland during the international break. So I worry about how his minutes are going to be managed over the course of the season, expecting him to play week in, week out for club and country at just 21 years old is a big ask. Um, so lots to to worry about. But like I said, Ayer and Rursliff can, can cover right back. Collins as well, even. I think Rursliff could do an emergency job at left back if he needed to. I think Vita in really dire circumstances, could go left back if needed. So there's enough to get by, but I just worry that the team will lose a little bit of an edge with Rico gone. But going forward, it, more than going back, if anything. I think uh, I think you make a good point. I, I and I I do think we'll be all right without him. But I think um, I think I'm more just gutted for him because this is his, this is his second ACL injury. Like you said, he's been so good this season. You, he's kind of get to the point where Southgate can't can't ignore him. Um, and I'm more, I'm more, I'm more gutted for him than I am for sort of the implications for the rest of the season, if that makes sense. Just because, just just because of how good he's been this season. Yeah, and you know he's the longest serving player at the club. Um, you know he's 26 years old, so he's coming into the prime of his career. You know he's become even more important now that Tony's suspended, Ray has left, Pontus has gone. Really feels like he's. Although he's not the most vocal, he is kind of one of the the faces of Brentford. So for him to be gone for for a year is is horrible. Uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about Mark Flecken. Lots of talk online about his performance against Newcastle. Um, I, obviously, we've touched on the penalty. You you think it was a penalty? I, I'm still a little bit conflicted. Uh, although although the opinion online does seem to veer towards sort of Anthony Anthony to Anthony Gordon uh, instigating the contact as opposed to Mark Flecken instigating the contact, I want to talk about sort of the incident before and also the fact that if we look at this game in isolation, which it looks like a lot of Brentford fans have done, uh, I don't think it's very fair to Flecken at all. The jury seems to be out for for someone who, by and large, has been pretty good in all of his performances so far. I thought, yes. Saw someone call him the Dutch Alvaro Fernandez. <laughs> I thought it was incredibly harsh. Um, I think, first of all, there's been a lot of focus on maybe what Flecken did wrong on um, Saturday for the penalty, but I think Hickey has a degree of responsibility as well for the back pass because he should just clear it there. Yeah. Um, and, he, and he kind of puts Flecken in that tricky situation. Uh, the disallowed goal, yeah, I think, that, I think that's really soft. Um, yeah, that, that's just what's going to happen when a ball loops up in the air. Like, like a striker's going to back into a goalkeeper. Defenders are going to push into strikers. It happens. I personally didn't think there was enough for that goal to get disallowed, and I was surprised. 
put it this way, if it's one of those situations where if the referee had let it stand, I don't think it would have been overturned on VAR. I don't think it was like a clear and obvious error even either way. Mm-hmm. Um, but his performance, performances in general, I mean, it's slightly irritating that I think Brentford have conceded six goals in the first five games of the season. So it's not perfect. Only Only one clean sheet, which was against Fulham. So there's definitely things that need to be improved. But like I said, a lot of that's also down to the fact Brentford are trying to be a bit more progressive with the ball. So obviously you're going to leave yourself open to more risks. And certainly against Tottenham, the two goals that day were avoidable. You had that random Joachim Anderson goal against Crystal Palace, which I still don't know how that went in. Yeah, I think he's been, I think he's been decent. Um, his first season in the Premier League, you know, 30 years old, so people might think he's experienced, but actually he's had quite like a, he he's a little bit of like a classic Brentford story where I think he was still playing in the second division of, of German football maybe four or five years ago, so he's had a bit of a, a long come up, maybe similar to Ethan Pinnock who kind of built his way up through the divisions. Um, he's obviously going to have to get used to the physicality of the Premier League, what happened on Saturday is a, you know, is a, is a learning curve for him. Um, I think his distribution's been way better than I expected actually. Yeah. Way better. Um, so I've got to give him props for that. Yes, there's certain things that he could do a little bit better than, but he's still, you know, learning to play with Ben Mee, Ethan Pinnock, Nathan Collins. You know, me missed, what, the first three games of the season, I think it was. Um, so that's a new relationship he's got to foster. So if he's still making some of these silly mistakes after 15 games of the season, then I'd start to worry a little bit. But I think for now he's done a, he's done a solid job. Yeah, I think uh, the comparison with Alvaro Fernandez. Uh, I think when Alvaro Fernandez came to the team, there was like a string of back-to-back-to-back errors. Um, ever yeah. the voice of reason. I think that's what we need on this podcast. Every time we kind of record, I always just kind of check what the consensus is, and the jury's out for for Flecken, and we always trying to bring back the reason a little bit. But I would be I would be more worried if this was happening week in week out, which it's not. And he's also making a lot of important saves in that time as well. I can think of a few off the top of my head where he's yeah, the, 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 the double Bruno saves. Yeah. Was, yeah, was really good. Um, I do think he is pretty good at coming for, for crosses and things like that. Yes, I know on, on Saturday there are a couple of times where he got caught out. Um, but you can just tell he has a bit of a presence and a bit of leadership as well. I think there was a point in the game on Saturday um, where it might have been when Rico had gone down injured. And after the medical team started treating Rico, um, a lot of the outfield players came over to the bench to talk to Thomas and uh, the assistant staff. And I think Flecken suddenly shouted at them to kind of get back on the pitch. Like, you know, the game might restart any second now. Mm-hmm. Rico's come off. And I thought, you know, fair play to him because they're the things that the TV cameras don't pick up. And, you know, bless you guys all the way in, <laughs> you know, 5,000 miles away from the pitch in the away stand, maybe don't see. Um, but I thought that kind of gives you a little bit of an insight into his character that he was able to kind of get the team refocused again. Yeah, 100%. Let's, uh, let's just chat through forward quickly to Everton and... What what would you like to see from Brentford going forward? Maybe not maybe not with specific focus on Everton on the weekend, but just at, from the first five games, what have you think we've lacked? Um, a clean sheet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think in a lot of the games, there's been good chances. Um, I can't remember the stat off the top of my head, but I know that Brentford's XG is quite high compared to other teams in the league, and the quality of the shots that they create is pretty good. Um, I think I'd like to see a little bit more of Keen Lewis Potter because I just want him to have a moment where 
he scores or he you know, comes up with an assist and just gets the ball rolling from there. Um, I've really liked that Sharda seems to be making better decisions in, in front of goal and seems to have got his movement down a lot better. Um, what else do I want to see? I think I want to see a bit more of Damsgaard. I'm, I'm very much on the side of I want these players yeah. who maybe haven't been in the best of form for Brentford to kind of get the minutes so that they can keep developing. I'd love to see a little bit more of Michael with the kick bay as well. I've watched him a lot for the B team and I thought his cameo against, was it Bournemouth, was really good. And I'd like to see a bit more of him. I don't think there's anything that, that truly worries me at the moment. Like I said, Thomas spoke loads in the summer about this was going to be an evolution for Brentford, but they try to be more comfortable and confident on the ball and mistakes just kind of come with that. If, like I said with Flecken, if this is happening in 10 games time, then I think it's time to worry a little bit more. But the foundation's good. You know, the more that me and Collins play together, the tighter that relationship gets. I certainly remember when Pinnock and Collins were playing together just in the two. I thought that partnership looked, looked yeah. really great. Mm-hmm. So we just need to keep on developing those things and, and I think Brentford will be fine. Yeah, I don't think there's any. There's not too much cause for worry. Like, I think we've played well in all of the games that we've played so far. Uh, just a case in in a, in a lot of the games, putting these games to bed, finishing some chances that we know we should be finishing, really. But no, there's not there's not too much cause for worry. And it will will um we're going to try a new segment because uh, we did away days for a while, but I feel like we need to freshen things up. So I'm going to call this segment the football roundup. And in this new segment of the podcast, we're trying. Obviously, we want some feedback, so do let us know if this is something you would like us to continue. We're all Brentford fans at the end of the day, uh, but fundamentally, we are football fans too, and we all have opinions about what's going on in the Premier League outside of Brentford. So each week, I'm going to pick a topic we can discuss, spend about five or ten minutes having a chat around that topic. But obviously, it'll be a little bit different today, Jay. Um, but I guess you're kind of the perfect guest for this segment, considering you work for The Athletic, and it's not just your job to cover Brentford. So what's the biggest story that's... Uh, been at the Athletic this this week. What's the topic that most people are talking about, and what are your thoughts on it? Um, well, people might be happy to hear it's actually sort of Brentford related um, because it's all about David Rea's debut. Um, my good friend Jordan Campbell, my colleague, he covers Arsenal, and he was at the game on on Sunday, and he wrote a piece about it. And then it was something I was talking to people in the office about today. Um, Jordan basically said Arteta's decision to to bench Ramsdale and, and start Raya when Ramsdale's not really done anything wrong in the first four four games of the season is going to be something that's either looked at as a bit of a revolutionary moment in the world of football um, and in the future managers won't be scared about maybe rotating goalkeepers more often. Arteta actually spoke about hmm. in the past he'd wanted to take a goalkeeper off in the 60th minute and the 80th minute and it was a re- regret that he didn't. So Jordan very much phrased it as, yeah, in the future, we might look back at Arteta and say, wow, you know, he was the wise man that <laughs> came up with this idea. Or we're going to look at it and say, this is a manager who's, you know, trying to be too clever. It's kind of the first signs that, you know, already a few weeks into the season, the title race is maybe getting to him a little bit and trying to keep up with Pep Guardiola's tactical changes and things like that. I'm going to catch him out. When the move was announced and or even when the move was progressing that way where Raya was going to move to Arsenal, I felt like it was only a matter of time until he became number one. And maybe that was my bias of watching Raya week in, week out and seeing what he could do. But for me, it was just a move that it just didn't didn't make any sense for me unless he was going in to become number one. Um, But then obviously you've got to feel for Ramsdale because he's a really talented English goalkeeper. He's done really well for Arsenal in the last couple of years. 
from the outside looking in, I'm not too sure what more he could have done um, for Arsenal and, Ar- and Arteta last year. Um, but he's been, you know, maybe brutally pushed to the side. And if he doesn't play in their Champions League game against PSV on Wednesday, then you've really got a feel for him. So, uh, yeah, that's a tasty topic that we've been all talking about. So I'm not too sure what you think on it. It's it's a weird one because it's, it really has split opinion, like right down the middle. I see some people saying it's crazy, like the fact that Ramsdale's done nothing wrong and now all you're going to do is unsettle him. But at the end of the day, Arsenal have two very, very good goalkeepers. In my opinion, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. I think Ray is a better goalkeeper. Obviously, I'm massively biased because I'm a Brentford fan. But having watched... And having the benefit of being a fan outside of the top six, you kind of do have a vested interest in the Premier League in general. So you watch Ramsdale on a Super Sunday because he plays every Sunday and Brentford don't. Um, so I, I do think David Rea is a better keeper. And it'll be interesting. The thing is, we can't, I can't really make, I can't really have an opinion on it until we see the next kind of three or four games if he does decide to kind of rotate them or not. The thing that I find quite interesting is that you see Arteta, he's kind of got these... I'd wonder if we're seeing the slow evolution of Arteta into Pep with these weird like kind of post-match interviews where he's <laughs> freaking the journalist out with some of the comments that he makes. I don't know if you saw the, the last one after Super Sunday, but he kind of asked... The, the journalist asked him, um, like, what, why, who's the number one at Arsenal? And he goes... And he asked a question about Fabio Vieira, and he's like, what number is Fabio Vieira? He's kind of... That, that first bit where Pep was in the Premier League and he was a bit of a psychopath with some of the stuff that he'd say when he'd come out in his in his post matches and say, I'm so happy, I'm so happy, more than you know. Yeah. I, I wonder if we're seeing like these kind of histrionics that we've seen with Guardiola and yeah. now we're seeing the, the Arteta at the start of that. I mean, the um, whole comparison of Kai Havertz and his wife, I thought was uh, <laughs> was more, more than a little bit strange. If yeah. listening, haven't don't know what he said. I'd, I'm not going to repeat it. I'd urge you to look it up and come to your own conclusions. But I thought that was a, a bit of a clumsy way of, of describing <laughs> the current situation. But yeah, he certainly seems to. And, you know, like I said, I've got colleagues that, that cover Arsenal that I'm quite close with. And they say, you know, when I go to a press conference, I feel like Thomas Frank's always very open. You know, he can joke sometimes. And they're like, no, Arteta's very straight back, doesn't give away too much. Whereas it feels like the first few weeks of this season, he's, uh, he's going for it. So I'm not too sure what's changed. But yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely an interesting one. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out over the next three or four games. But um, we'll, we'll move on to some questions uh, from the GPG and Twitter. We've got James 30 asking, how long do we think until Neil will get the nod to start? This is a difficult one for you because I was thinking about this before the podcast. Obviously, you must have seen the reaction when we signed Neil Mopé back, knowing that he was a fan favourite, but you didn't really get to kind of live through that bit because you weren't covering Brentford at the time when, when we were in the championship and he was scoring 20-odd goals. Um so you kind of got this obscured view of Neil Mope because you've seen him play for Brighton, you've seen him play for Everton. What, what's your thoughts on him as a player? And how? And to answer the question, how long do you think do you think we might see him at the weekend? I think if I'm honest, when the deal was announced, I was a little bit. I mean, I was skeptical about it, but that's because if you look at it in the cold light of day and you remove the the excitement about you know a legend coming back, you know Brentford went from you know on the Monday and the Tuesday of that week they were trying to sign Brennan Johnson for, you know, 45 or 40 million pounds or whatever the fee was. Um, by the Thursday, it was Johan Bakayoko for 40 million euros, you know, two really, really exciting talents on the way up. So to then on the Friday sign Mope on loan, who's obviously coming off the back of a really disappointing season with, with Everton, just felt like a bit of a come, <laughs> come down. If, if, if I'm <laughs> honest. Um, not that I've ever experienced one of those. 
Um, <laughs> but now, uh, I think my opinions on it has changed slightly. I think it's a really clever move. Um, I think it would do wonders for, for Mopé's confidence, obviously. He's a player that the club know really well. Um, he obviously worked under Thomas Frank for a little bit of time when, when Thomas Frank was the head coach and also the assistant. So I think he should have a good understanding of how to get the best out of him. Uh, I, I don't know why I've just become convinced now that he's going to score quite a few goals and really <laughs> up Everton fans. So uh, when do I think he'll get the nod? Maybe in the Carabao Cup game uh, against Arsenal next week's more likely. Um, but actually now I've realised the, the poetry of if he comes and starts on, on Saturday against Everton and scores. <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to stop myself from laughing in the press box if that happened. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd like to see him get a nod. Um, maybe give Wissa a break, get him out of the limelight for a week. Uh, it would it would be nice. And and Wiss was great off the bench as well. You know, we've seen that last season. We were kind of debating on the podcast last season whether he's better to start or he's better to come off the bench because it seemed like whenever he came off the bench, he'd always have a, a big impact. So maybe uh, maybe more pay maybe more pay to start on Saturday is not a bad shout, and especially if he gets a, a goal against Everton and continues their their misery, which just seems to be never ending at them for them at the moment. Uh, we got got a few more questions around Rico Henry. A few people asked around Rico Henry. We kind of already answered that. Um, we've got BFCB's blog on Twitter asking if you expect us to do any business in January, which I guess is quite an interesting question because. We've chatted about your kind of evaluation of the summer transfer window and whether you said you said it was okay. Um, now we've got an injury to Rika Henry, which just would that would that uh, affect your answer in any way? Um, yeah, I think it. I'd be shocked if Brentford. I'm not saying Brentford definitely will go out and sign a replacement for Rico Henry because if results are going reasonably well by January, well they'll say to themselves, well. It's only four or five months until the season ends and, and Rico should be back, you know, running and available for pre-season in the summer. But at this point in time, will they be assessing their options and thinking, do we need to potentially do a bit of business in January and maybe just sign someone on, on loan for six months? Yeah, um, I don't know if that's definitely going to happen. I think we'll need to see how kind of results and performances play out over the next couple of weeks. But obviously I did say I think it will be a quite a big load on Hickey over the next few months if he's the only naturally left-footed, he's obviously two-footed, but the only naturally left-footed fullback, um, he's going to be playing a, a lot of minutes. Um, so I think it's something they'll consider. Um, I don't want to say too much because I know one of the next questions is about a certain somebody who returned to training this week. And that will, that will some of what um, Brentford might do in January might be impacted by his situation. So I'll hold the answers and then <laughs> tell you them all. In 20 seconds time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that was nice. That was a nice follow up onto the next question. Do you think it's likely that we're going to sell Ivan in January? Um, I know a lot of Brentford fans seem to be absolutely convinced he's gone, and I can understand why to a degree. Obviously, he's changed his agent, and you know we shouldn't always read too much into that. But the fact that he's gone to, I think it is CAA Stella off the top of my head, who you know have looked after Jack Grealish, brokered Gareth Bale's move to Real Madrid back in the day, look after Luke Shaw, Ben Chilwell, you know, really big clients who've made some big moves over the last few years. Can understand why people are maybe getting a little bit nervous, you know, maybe his comments on the diary of a CEO about supporting Liverpool and admiring Arsenal didn't help. I think it will depend on where Brentford are in the table in January. Um, I don't think it's a definite he goes. Obviously, Brian and Bumo and Johan Visser will both be playing at AFCON um, for Cameroon and DR Congo, respectively. And I think it's a big ask for Kevin Sharder, Keen Lewis Potter, and Neil Mope to be the only three natural attacking options for Brentford for 
a month or six weeks of the season, especially when you consider Lewis Potter's not scored in the Premier League for Brentford, Sharda's scored once in the Premier League for Brentford, and Mopé's coming off the back of a, to put it politely, underwhelming season at Everton. They're not the greatest striking options. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Brentford turned around and looked, assessed the situation in January and said, actually, we'd rather just hold on to Tony for now and you know get us through a difficult period or whatever the situation is in January, who knows? At the same time, Tony's market value is going to be at its highest in January. That's when he'll have 18 months left on his deal. You let that run into summer when he's got 12 months left, then you're still going to get a good fee for Tony, regardless because he's a great player. Um, but you're not going to maximise the amount of money you could get. You know, we can debate all day about how much Tony's worth, but in my eyes, he scored 20 goals in the Premier League last season. He's English. He's about to, well, he's turning 28 in March. He's in the prime of his career. You look at someone like Hoyland, who's gone for, I don't know the full ins and outs of the deals because it's a bit complicated with add-ons, but, you know, maybe a, an upfront fee of around fifty-five, sixty million pounds, whatever it is for Hoyland, who's unproven at this level and is a lot younger. Maybe he has a higher ceiling in terms of potential. Who knows? I don't think it's outrageous for Brentford to say, "Well, we want minimum sixty million for Ivan Tony," then, because he's guaranteed to get you goals at this level. Uh, he's English. His penalty record's exceptional. Um, and then when you pull it even further back and look at some of the deals that happened in the summer with. Declan Rice going for a, you know, a record fee. Caicedo going for a record fee. The prices are going up and up and up and up and up and up. So again, the Brentford say, well, he's so important to us. 70 million, 80 million. Who knows? Um, but obviously, if that happens in January, they can kind of ask for, not necessarily for what they want, but they can sit a very high price tag. You get into the summer, it's a little bit more tricky um, to play hardball with teams. We obviously saw it with Rare in the summer. You know, Thomas Frank said it from minute one, £40 million price tag, £40 million price tag. It looks like the package with Arsenal is worth about £30 million. So it's not quite what Brentford wanted. So I think that will be in the back of their heads as well. But at the end of the day, what, the most important thing, the most valuable thing to the club is staying in the Premier League. So if they're in a great situation in January and they're not worried and they're not looking over their shoulder, that's probably a good chance Tony goes. If things aren't looking so good... Rico's injuries had a big impact on the team maybe Flecken looks a little bit more shaky or whatever it is and all of a sudden you know a fourth season in the Premier League isn't looking guaranteed in January maybe they turn around and say Tony's not leaving stay with us until the summer and we let you go then so I think it's a more fluid situation than maybe some people are being led to believe at the moment yeah I think it's it's definitely an interesting one because the whole mantra at Brentford that we've been told is that everyone has their price right and Thomas Frank said on MNF uh, yesterday that he's one of the best number nines in the world um, I remember a famous clip on our podcast where you, where you, where you had some thoughts about how where he ranked in terms of Premier League strikers but anyway it, it's like you say I think if we are doing well I think we've got to cash in on him I, th- I, I honestly with the with the amount of money clubs like Chelsea are spending nowadays I don't think it would be out of out of our rights to demand a hundred million minimum. If we're if we're if we're thinking if we're thinking Moises Caicedo as a holding midfielder is going for over a hundred million, we're, we're talking about a Premier League striker who scored twenty goals last season. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. And if and if multiple clubs come in for him, then you know everybody's going to be be celebrating in that regard. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. If he'd had a little bit longer on his contract, I, I would say £100 million is ambitious but not <laughs> unrealistic. But then you look at some of the deals Brighton have pulled off in the last couple of years yeah. um, and you think, well, who's to say Brentford can't do the same? But also receiving that, that sum of money for Ivan would just enable the club to, to reinvest in multiple positions, um, continue the philosophy that we've seen for, for over a decade now, and it would enable the club to you know, buy a Bakayoko or, or buy a Nico Gonzalez for you know, that top-tier price range of £35, £40 million pounds or euros, whichever way you look at it, and kind of you know, strengthen the squad in multiple areas with really good talent. But who knows what's going to happen? I'm sure there's going to be a lot of twists and turns, that's for sure. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna drag on like the like the rare thing did. We, we've got a couple of other questions. Uh, Mike Horde, that's BS. Uh, Chris White as well, all asking. But we kind of did answer them already. They were kind of about Shada, Whistler, and Rico Henry. So we can we can skip those. Apart, I've not, not ignored your questions. We did get someone on Twitter. Bob Shu just simply said Shada is better than Mudrick. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts <laughs> thoughts on that. <laughs> I mean, they're both two very very young players um, at very very early stages of their. <laughs> Of their development, um, all I can say is that Shada scored in the Premier League and Mudrik hasn't. So uh, make, make, make that what you you think. <laughs> we'll go into Everton then, Jay. Just before we wrap things up, how important do you think it is that we bounce back at the weekend? Um, we kind of spoken about how we played well in every game. Um, I I do kind of see it as a big game just because I feel like a lot of fans will be disappointed off the back of that Newcastle game, knowing that we probably should have got a point and we deserved a point, and also knowing that Everton at home has proved a pretty difficult fixture for us uh, since we've been back in the Prem. Yeah, obviously important game. Um, Everton, you know, kind of starting the season where they kind of ended the last one, um, just kind of really struggling. Um, but I think sometimes. You know, we, we put this massive expectation when Brentford plays some of these teams lower down in the table that Brentford are going to wipe them aside, but it's never going to be that easy. You know, mm-hmm. Sean Dyche's side might not be the greatest going forward, although they've been better this year. Um, if you look at the underlying numbers, they're still going to be very resolute at the back. Um, you almost might want to compare it to a situation with, with Norwich a couple of years ago where Norwich hadn't won a game yet that season. Everybody thought... Right, Norwich are turning up. They've been dreadful. Brentford have had a great start to the first season in the Premier League. Brentford are going to win, and then obviously very rudely lost two one um, to Norwich. And then I think a couple of weeks later lost to Burnley. And for both teams, it was their first win of that season. So I don't think there can be any complacency about you know Everton are towards the bottom of the table. It means Brentford should definitely be winning this. It'll be a difficult game. But having said that, if Brentford don't dominate and create lots of chances, I'd be be really disappointed. So of course I want them to win. Um, and probably expect them to edge it, but I think it will be a, a tighter game than than people maybe expect it to be. Yeah, I think the uh, the the main thing you kind of just mentioned it—the fact that this season we're kind of employing a new style of football in terms of being a bit more progressive, having a bit more of the ball. Uh, it's also going to be interesting. I think the main the main thing I'm looking forward to is seeing that lineup. Whether it's going to be that straight swap that we kind of alluded to earlier with Hickey going straight to left back, Rasulov over to right back, or Ayer over to right back, and whether Neil Mope starts. Um, I think yeah, it's, it's it's I don't think it's 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 not like a it's not like a six pointer for Everton. I think it's important for them to actually get some get some more points on the board. I know they've only got one this season, but you know when Sean Dyche comes, you know what you know what the game's going to be. It's not going to be it's not going to be us wiping them aside. I don't think at all. It's going to be tight. They're going to be camped up. We're going to probably have more of the ball, and it's going to be up to Thomas Frank as well. I think with the substitutions, with the players that we can bring off the bench in terms of 
you know, whatever our starting lineup is, whether that's Shard or whether that's Quiz or whether that's Keenlose Potter, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out tactically. Um, because I think it would be fair to say in, in recent years, well, in recent years against Sean Dyche, we've probably come off worse in terms of results against Burnley and Everton since he's been there. So it's it's going to be interesting. What are you what are you looking forward to the most to see in terms of in terms of lineups? Are you just gunning for Lewis Potter? You want him to start and score? <laughs> well, I, well I, obviously Lewis Potter and Kevin Sharder at the moment both play on the left the most, and I think there's similarities between the two, but I think there's big differences as well. I think obviously if you if you're coming up against a team that plays with a very high line and there's a lot of space in behind, then you pick Sharder all day every day because his pace mm-hmm. is just absolutely frightening. Where if it, where if you're playing against an Everton team and the chances are they're going to be, you know, defending, you know, on their 18-yard box. I think you maybe do go for KLP more, just because I think he's, I think he's better in possession than Sharda. He's not quite as quick, but I still think he's quite nifty in terms of his, his dribbling mm-hmm. and things like that. I mean, he sat down Kieran Trippier at St James's Park on a. Oh no, it was Bruno. Sorry, he sat down Bruno at St James's Park on Saturday, which did, did make me chuckle. Um, so I'd quite like to see him. I think obviously the four-three-three will come back in. Um, yeah, Hickey on the left. I think if I is fit, I might start ahead of Rursliff. Um I think at the moment, one thing I'm intrigued to see is for how long me and Pinnock are the, the first choice centre-back pairing because I think Collins has played very yep. well in every game. Um, and I do also wonder if Rico's injury at some point might make Thomas switch back to 3-5-2 more often. Um just as a bit of a protection thing. But for this weekend, I think it will be 4-3-3. I think Vissa will start through the middle. Obviously, Brian out wide. I think Kevin Sharder will probably start ahead of Keen Lewis-Potter. Um, but it might be a game where you see someone like Onyeka start in central midfield alongside Jensen and, and Norgard. But it should be good whatever happens. Yeah, looking forward to it. I think that would be a good point uh, to wrap up the podcast. The podcast will be back next week to chat about Everton and Arsenal. I think we'll probably looking to record on Thursday so that we can talk about both and also look ahead to Forest away the weekend last. So remember, just before we go, guys, if you haven't listened to the podcast before, please do share it around with your mates. Leave a rating on our Spotify and YouTube channels and remember to follow us on our social channels as well. That's at Eden Road Pod on Instagram and at the Eden Road on Twitter. Jay, thanks again for coming on, mate. Really appreciate it. Top man. Pleasure as always, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Podcast Network.